Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, do exactly what you have planned, what we sense you're about to do, Heavenly Father. Um, I yield myself totally to your spirit, O God. Sweet Holy Spirit, come and, and oversee everything. Let there be a combustion in people's hearts where the word by the spirit encounters a person's destiny and puts it on the right track. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. The Lord gave us a word um, at the start of the year out of Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter. And you know, this, you know the story, so just because I'm conscious of time, allow me to just paraf- paraphrase that story. But you know the story, verses 1 to 11. Um, Jesus is preaching to the crowds on the shore of Lake Galilee, a vast multitude. The multitude is pressing against him, um, and he wants them to hear the word of God. And he realizes, and this, is, this, this, was, this was technology in action. He, he realizes that preaching from a boat, uh, his voice will carry further. Um, and he looks for a boat to preach from. Um, he, he eventually chooses Simon Peter's boat. Um, he gets into the boat and asks Simon to push the boat fur- further away, I guess to enhance the technology that he understood um, would, would come into play. And so he begins to speak to the crowd and preaches to the crowd. He actually sits down and teaches them um, from the boat. And then when he's done, he says to Peter, launch out into the deep, row out into the deep. And Peter says to him, well, we've been been doing that all night. We've been out there fishing all night. But since you say so, at your word, we will do so. And he goes out into the deep, lets down his net as he's instructed, And to his amazement, there's a massive catch of fish. Um, And it's so so much fish that the boat actually starts to sink. Um, And he calls for help from others. And that's the kind of help I pray will come your way. Um, The kind of call. When someone is so blessed that they say to you, come and help me and be a part of this blessing. And, 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 And then he's astonished at what God has done. Um, he falls at God, Jesus' feet, um, he's awestruck, um, and then Jesus gives him an instruction to go and fish, not just for fish, but, but for men. Um, that's the background to a lot of what we will be talking about over the next so many weeks. And, and last week, as we started to talk about this, we used a scripture to drive home literally just the first two sentences or so. And if you remember the scripture, it's 1 Peter 2 verse 9 and 10. As we started to talk about what God was going to do in our lives as he called us, as he called Peter to launch out, as he's calling you to launch out. You're a chosen generation, that scripture says, a royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, 
who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And we went through um, a few things. This is just a recap. We talked about you being uh, a chosen, you being chosen treasure, how precious you are, how valuable you are. We talked about your priesthood, your calling to be a priest, but also your calling to be a king. Um, we talked about, we talked about um, how you were a holy nation, a spiritual person, a spiritual nation designed to live by his spirit. Um, and so today we want to go on. Uh, and today I want to talk about God's plans for you. When you read the scriptures that, that are foundation text, you could actually think that it just kind of happened. Um, it was coincidental. Jesus was preaching and suddenly a problem arose and he looks around as to how he can solve this problem and he sees the boats and it suddenly occurs to him that I can use these boats to solve this problem. And so he has a chance encounter with Peter because he needs a boat. That's how the enemy wants us to think. And believe me, that's how a lot of people, even Christians, think. That these things are chance encounters. That these things are not ordered. They are not pre-planned. That we deal with God as if what is happening to us from day to day is catching God unawares. But the Bible tells us a different thing. And if you're going to launch out into the deep, you must understand the position of the Bible with regards to God's plans and purposes for your life. So the first thing you must take to heart is that God has plans for you. In God's mind, he definitely has plans for you. He says to us, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. For every single one of us, God has plans God has thoughts. You're not an accident looking for what to do. You are part of God's plans. He has definite plans for every single one of us, irrespective of what is happening in your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is not trying to figure out what to do with you or what you will do. The Bible makes clear that God has plans, thoughts concerning you. Can someone say amen to that? And you know, when the, when the scripture was written, where, where, where that scripture is written, if you put it in a larger context, you begin to understand how God works. Because Jeremiah 29 verse 11, written to the, the children of Israel, at a time of captivity... Things were not going right for them. Things, things had gone awry. Things, things, were, things were scattered, confused. They were wondering, where is God? What about the God of our fathers? All the stuff we heard he did for them. 
The mighty demonstration of power as he set them free. Why are we second class citizens in this place? And you know, sometimes life can feel like that. You hear all these sermons and you hear these this great men and women of God and they expound the scripture and it seems so good. But then you're looking at your circumstances and your circumstances don't add up. Why am I in this challenging marriage? Why do I have to deal with this divorce? Why do I have to deal with children that, that are just challenging? They, they, they don't even want to go along the path of, of, of knowing God. Why do I have to be in this dead-end job? Why do, why do I have to be so confused and challenged? Why do I have to be at a place where people think it's great for me but then I know that I am living with some fear. Why do I have to deal with this rejection? And in the midst of that, someone is telling you God has plans for you. He has thoughts concerning you. But you're saying my circumstances don't line up. And that's where the children of Israel found themselves. And God spoke this powerful word to them. In the midst of all this, you must understand I have plans for you. I have thoughts towards you. And then he goes on in verses 12, 13, and 14 to kind of what I feel is an encouragement to us. He says to them, in those days when you pray, I will listen. So what am I saying to someone who's in that place? You're wondering, okay, God has plans for me, but this, this life doesn't just seem to want to align with the plans. What is God saying? Pray, I will listen. Talk to me about it. I want to hear and then it goes, it goes on to say, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So what am I saying to someone who's saying this whole thing just doesn't add up? I hear this wonderful message about launching out into the deep, but I'm even trying to survive where I am. Talk less about launching out. Well, I'm saying to you, first start from the place of prayer and then commit yourself to a wholehearted, wholehearted pursuit of God. Make him priority number one. And he says, as you do that, number one, I will listen. Number two, you will find me. And then he goes on to give them an encouraging word. And can someone receive this word? I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. That was just five people. And that's okay. I say amen to those five people who are in here who said it. God says, I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again. And so we must understand that Jesus' actions with regards to Peter were not coincidental. It was planned from before the foundations of the earth. In the timetable of heaven, on a particular day, Jesus would be preaching on, those, on the shores of Galilee. He would need a boat. Peter's boat would have been predestined to be the boat he would step into. All planned. And Peter would have an encounter with him that would change his life it's the way heaven works nothing is happening to you by chance it doesn't exist for you you're a child of god and that leads me to the next point number two that god's plan for you has been preordained you see you didn't come into being because a sperm chased an egg 
and there was some sort of fertilization and a fetus was formed and then you started life. That's such a shallow way for a Christian to think. Those who are not Christians can think so. But you must understand that that wasn't the start of your life. You existed in God's thoughts before you were born. His plans for you were formed before you existed. Your parents met each other, not just because they loved each other, but because in the plan of God, God was preparing your entry into the world. And that's why there can never be illegitimate children. The actions of the parents might be illegitimate in the sense, and inverted commas, in the sense that they got up to stuff they shouldn't have got up to when they were not married. But believe me, God is large enough to include their mistakes in his plan for your life. And so my father thinks he met my mother at a dance that was organized for Commonwealth students somewhere in London when both of them were here. Sometime in 1963 or the end of 1962. Of course, that's not what it was about. God wanted to bring Aguiruku into the world. And in his infinite wisdom, he, he chose Joseph and Eno. And so Eno had to dress really nicely to attract Joseph's attention at the dance. And when Joseph turned around and saw her, he thought, whoa, what a beautiful light-skinned babe. Unknown to him, he was obeying the instructions of heaven to prepare for Agu to come. Because God had a plan for Agu. And in God's wisdom, he had chosen Joseph and Eno, and Eno to bring him to pass. And so, when he goes up to her and he starts charming, my, my father's very charming, laying on his wraps, he thinks he's doing his own thing. He had no idea that all this was being orchestrated from heaven. Because before even Joseph and Eno were born, God had thoughts and plans for a boy who he would use if the boy would yield to him. That's your story. From before the earth was created, he already had thoughts and plans for you. He knew you were going to be born in America. He knew you were going to be born in England. He knew you were going to be born in Africa, in Zimbabwe. He knew you were going to be born in Sierra Leone. He knew you were going to be born in Ghana, in Nigeria. He knew you were going to be born in Australia. He, all these things were already preordained. So he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah the first chapter and the fifth verse. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before anything started happening, anything biological, I knew you. And I understand that the word new in the Hebrew translation is not the new that you and I think when we speak English. I understand that its reference is to an intimate knowledge of a person. So before you were formed in your mother's womb, I had an intimate knowledge of you, God says. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so you must understand that about yourself. 
It doesn't matter how the circumstances are tossing you about. It doesn't matter how it doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't matter how it's caving in, how challenging, how difficult. It doesn't matter that there are no results. Peter had fished all night and there were no results. It doesn't change God's plans. God says, I have plans for you. I have thoughts for you. I have an intimate knowledge with, with, with you with regards to my destiny for you. The psalmist puts it like this in Psalms 139 verse 16. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. You know, these, these are comforting scriptures as we battle with the issues of life. The psalmist says, I get it. It's not just about what is happening, no. It's about what was preordained, what you planned. You saw me before I was born. You had a vision of me. You understood what you wanted me to do. You knew where you wanted me to go. He says, every day of my life was recorded in your book. That is mind-blowing. So tomorrow for me has already been recorded. I just need the Spirit of God to flip the page and I need to cooperate with the Spirit of God so that I can walk into the page and do what is recorded for me. I'm not trying to create new things to do. I'm trying to discover what I'm supposed to do so that I can do what I'm supposed to do. Every day recorded in a book. And you know, this is, this is so powerful in helping us understand the limitations of Satan. The book has been authored by the Spirit of God. Satan, you can't change what is in the book. The best you can do is get me not to cooperate with God so that I don't walk in what is in the book. But you can't rewrite the book of our lives. It's already been authored. He says, every moment was laid out before a single day passed. I like the way the message translation puts that, that verse. It says, all stages of my life were spread out before you. All stages of my life spread out before you. I'm not looking for things to do. No, I'm trying to discover what I was supposed to do. It's an exercise in futility and frustration to look for things to do. That's why some people, when they look for things to do, you think they've achieved success. They outwardly look successful, but in their hearts, there is frustration, there's, there's dryness. They are wondering, is this what it's about? Why do you think someone who has it all commits suicide? Because the person is saying, this thing is meaningless, it's meaningless. Futility. The cars, the houses, they, 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 don't, they don't scratch that itch. They don't feel the vacuum. Number three. The revelation of that plan, or should I say those plans, 
is premised on a personal encounter. (laughs) And what am I saying to us? I'm saying take responsibility. Don't think another person is going to get that revelation for you. You will end up frustrated. Take responsibility. It has to be your personal encounter. Religion tries to replace God with man even in the Pentecostal expression. So religion says that man or woman, that pastor or bishop or prophet, overseer, must be the one to tell you what God has planned for you. That is religion at its worst. That man or woman will confirm to you something that is in your heart might help you fully understand it. But believe me, if it's coming out of the blue, run away from it. Because it has to be a personal encounter. Because that man or woman is not going on the journey with you. And when the journey gets rough, if you went because of the man or woman... You're going to look for the man or woman. But if you went because of God, then when the journey gets turbulent or rough, you will look for God because God sent you. The church is in the weak state it is. Because men and women have elevated themselves to the positions of high priests. And worse still than high priests, to the position of deities. So they want to control our lives. They want to tell us every single thing we have to do so that the Holy Spirit becomes redundant. That is not Christianity. That is religion and it borders on witchcraft. The church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is led by the Spirit of God, not by men and women. And so what do we do? We come alongside, we confirm in the multitude of counselors there's safety. But we don't take over the role of God or the Holy Spirit in your life. That is not New Testament Christianity. So there must be a personal encounter. Jeremiah tells us in the fourth verse, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord must come to you. It must be your encounter. Thank God for the sermon that stirred it up. Thank God for the prayers that stirred it up. Thank God for the laying on of hands that stirred it up. Thank God for the pouring of oil, the anointing with oil that stirred it up. Thank God for the confirmation that came from a wise man, a wise woman, a sage, someone who had understanding. It was Samuel who heard and then went to Eli and said, I heard something, but he heard something. And then Eli said, hang on a second, 
That thing you heard sounds like God. When he calls the next time, answer like this. If Samuel had not heard, then Eli would not have been able to say, that thing you heard is totally out of order for Eli to say, I've heard something that God told me about you and God has not told you. God, the New Testament God, does not work like that. Take a leaf from the, from the, from the, from the life of the prophet Habakkuk. And actually, if you want a book that you should read, I'd encourage you to read the book of Habakkuk. So take a look from, take a leave from the life of the prophet. It starts with a burden. <laughs> I hope you have a burden about your life. If you don't have a burden about your life, who else is going to have a burden about your life? Have you have a burden about what God would have you do? Launch out into the deep, he says to us. God, where, where am I launching out into? What is the deep with regards to me? So he has a burden. And he lifts his burden to God. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? At least cry. Start with crying. Don't think some prayer contractor is going to pray it through for you. No. This is the deception in the church. That somebody else is going to do it for you? Absolutely not. We present ourselves as more than we are. We make it seem like we can deal with all your problems. It's not humanly possible. And God does not give anyone that grace. How many things can one man pray through for all of us? How many things can I pray through for all of you? It's impossible. My wife, Shola, and I, we say to ourselves all the time, there are too many prayer requests to take to God. Too many. In our quiet time, you know, and we try with our quiet time, two hours, three hours generally, we try. But the list is so much. Revy is too much. We pray for the persecuted church. We pray, pray, pray for the persecuted church. Every single day, literally, we, we are praying for the persecuted church. We pray for revival. We pray for the countries that are dear to our heart. We pray for, for, for the United Kingdom. We always pray for Nigeria. Then I have a list of people who are, who are sick. They are fighting affliction. You pray for them. Then you, then, you, then you now pray for your family. If you have a family like mine, by the time I've finished with my wife and the three children, I'm looking at the clock. Then I remember Chizo and the rest of them. I add them and I'm looking at the clock. I haven't even come to you. So what can I do when I'm looking at the clock? I've been at this prayer since 5 a.m. It's now 7.30. So what do I do for you? I make mention. I say, God, remember Revy. Remember Denrily. Remember all she wants you to answer. So if they're waiting for me to pray through for you, where will I do it? Then some people have issues that they've brought to my heart that have broken me. I take those ones every day and I pray through for them. It takes me an hour maybe on one person. How can I pray through for all of you? It's a deception if you think I'm going to do it for you. I can't. And we never will tell you the truth. 
So we make it seem like we're going to sort you out. No, we can't sort you out. And God did not intend us to sort you out. God intended us to come alongside. Yes, there's an anointing. Yes, I can bring the anointing to bear. But it's not going to replace you doing what you have to do. That's why the church is in such a weak state. Because people are looking for contractors. And I'm not a prayer contractor. And I love you, but I will pray for JJ and Nonny first before you. That's the truth. So cry yourself. Create your own altar. Don't depend on anybody. I hope I'll see you next week after. I, you're going to say, let me find the church where the pastor is praying for me all the time. It's the lie. It's not true. It's not true. If he has the burdens I have. 70 to 80% of our prayers, Shola and I, are centered around two things. 70%. Revival in the nations, a massive burden for the United Kingdom and for Nigeria, and the persecuted church. 70% of our prayers. The other 30%, I have to divide between my loved ones and yourself, and the many other issues. Where will I find the, the ask to give you a prayer point? Except I just don't do anything else in life. So what I can do is teach you to do what I do, so that you do it for yourself. Then you go and teach another person. That's how the kingdom works. It says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear even to cry out to you violence and you will not save. He starts by asking that question. And then he asks a lot more questions. Verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And then he asks all these why questions. Verse 13, why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue? Verse 14, why do you make men like fish of the sea? He has all these questions on his heart, like we do. All this launch out into the deep, God, why, how, when, what am I supposed to do? Don't let it rest at the question. Take a leaf from his book, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. With all these whys. He then says, I know what I will do. I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. All these questions, this seeming confusion, this lack of clarity, this receiving a word and not knowing how the word applies to you. He then says, this is what I will do. I will stand at my watch. I will put myself in a certain place where I can see. I will carve out time and be in the right place. If you are not prioritizing 
The task of hearing God, forget about launching out into anything. You will launch out into chaos. Because you are not following the direction, the instruction. So you have to prioritize. I'm generally a late sleeper. But I was saying to my wife, and I'm learning from her example, because incidentally, if you want to invite her to dinner or anything, it's a waste of your time. She will shut down on, on, on you. We went to dinner on Friday, and I was amazed that she stayed awake. Because she does not, by 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, her world is shutting down. But that's because she's up, like my sister, she's up. They are up very early in the morning when others are snoring and the world is quiet and there are no distractions. Then like the psalmist, you can raise your voice to God early in the morning and the psalmist says, and look to see what he will say to you. So someone like me who stays up late, I have no choice. It's all a question of priorities. So to her amazement, the other day by 10, past 10, I was in bed. She was shocked. But I said, what can I do? Because if I allow the world to wake up, the world has a way of sucking you into their own agenda. By the time you get to work, your boss has a whole new project for you. The project takes over your life. So before you get to work, you better sort out with the God of heaven the things that are happening in your life. The, 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 the prophet says, I will stand, position myself right, prioritize. I wouldn't be wandering all over the place, allowing people to abuse my time. Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as the wise. That's, a, that's, that's such a harsh scripture. Because he's saying, if you don't walk circumspectly, you don't think carefully about how you walk, then you are a fool. He says, wisdom is to walk circumspectly. To plan for it, to think about it, to protect it, to cancel some dinner dates because it's going to run into the early hours of the morning and you're already thinking, I, I need to wake up so that I can spend time with him. To cut short some conversations. And I'm not saying become some sort of Puritan or anything like that. No, what I'm saying is that just be aware of your goal, aware of your destination, aware of your priorities. To realize that some, some relationships are toxic. Because every time you talk to that person, it takes away from your spirituality. It does not add to it. And to limit those relationships... Not because you don't like the person, but because it's affecting my standing at my watch. He says, I will set myself on the rampart. To get onto the rampart, you've got to climb up. And that speaks to getting away from the distractions and the mundane. And the enemy's an expert at distractions. Is his stock in trade. We want to go and worship our God. 
And Pharaoh says, what kind of nonsense is this? Worship their God. It's because they have time. So ask them to make the same number of blocks, but don't give them the straw. By the time they walk around the whole countryside looking for the straw, this nonsense about worshiping their God will be over. He's an expert. You decide that you're going to start waking up earlier and sleeping earlier, and suddenly there's a whole new, new series on Netflix, and Netflix now becomes the principality that draws you in. You want to go away, and then suddenly everything... And incidentally, it is not possible to get to where we are going without moments of solitude. The volume of the world is too loud. You have to find time to shut it down. To turn the volume of the, of the world down so that God who is constantly speaking, you can hear what he's saying. And he says, I will now then watch to see what he will say to me. Hallelujah. And let me just say to someone that God's plans for us are progressive in nature in terms of their revelation to us. Yeah? Because, you know, people, people just want, they say, God, just tell me the end. God says, no, no, no. We don't walk like that here. You will, you will kill yourself if I tell you the end. You can't handle it here. So let us have personal encounters on the journey. So stop trying to know the end now from the beginning. You're not God. Only God knows the end from the beginning. He might give you a general picture. But trust me. He will never give you the details. And so we, we have no choice. Because think about it. If he gave you all the details, then you don't need him anymore. You go ahead and plan your thing yourself. So to make sure that we need him, we go through a series of revelations, personal encounters. When you chart the journey of your life, you can see that encounter propelled me further. That encounter propelled me further. That's why we call it a walk with God. We are walking with God. And when you walk with God, the scenery changes. How boring it would be if it's the same scenery you've been looking at for the last... I've, I've been walking with God for 30 years. It's the same scenery. That is so boring. But periodically... He'll change the scenery. That means another encounter has moved me forward, moved you forward. Amen? And there are two things that are critical in that walk. Number one, of course, is the Holy Spirit, our guide. He's, he stimulates those encounters. And so if there's anything that's going to help in your launching into the deep, it is that intimacy with the Holy Spirit. He has the whole plan in his head. He's the one who, who reveals it to us. He tells us what is on the heart of God. To not have him as a close friend is a disaster. So that is the motivation not to sin. Not, some, not, not someone saying, you know, wielding a judgmental sword over you. Of course, there are the consequences of sin. We know that. But I need motivation. 
The motivation not to sin is that if I grieve the guide and I don't know the way, I am lost. If you're driving to John O'Groats or to Land's End and somewhere along the line you get irritated with the voice of the lady who's telling you, turn left at the next intersection. And then you just smash the thing. How many know that you will you'll probably drive, instead of going to John O'Groats, you will end up at Land's End. Because the voice that is guiding you, you have, you have tossed it away. When we sin, we shut down the guide's voice. And when we can't hear the guide, it's a challenge. In this life, it's a challenge. So our priority is to cultivate that relationship. Spend time with him. Listen to him. Make him our best friend. Don't grieve him. That's why Paul writes into the church in, in Rome, says in Romans 8 verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Passion Translation would say the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. That's how we should be moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Because we have acquired a maturity by spending time with Him. The message would put it this way. God's Spirit beckons, the message says, there are things to do and places to go. There are things to do and places to go. And it's only because God's Spirit beckons and we yield to the beckoning of God's Spirit. And of course, the second thing is the Word of God. And you know this, that, that famous Psalm. Psalms 119 verse 105. The Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, someone says to me, okay, this whole launch out into the deep, how on earth am I going to find out where he wants me to launch out? What I'm supposed to do? What would he have me do at this point in time? What did he design me to do? Guess what I would be saying to that person? Get close to the Holy Spirit and stay in the Bible every single day. That Bible will speak to you. It's a roadmap. From that Bible, just reading it every single day, you are sorted out. Re reading it by the Spirit every single day. Meditating on it beginning to confess it to change things. It is the greatest change agent. The spirit on the word of God creates what God wants to happen. And you know what the, what the enemy has done? He's done a great job in making us feel that speaking the word does not do anything. In fact, some people actually feel silly doing it. See how far he's gone? The most powerful tool we have. He has convinced some people that it, it has no power. How did God create everything? By speaking it. How do you expect to create, uh, create things? How did God change chaos? The earth was without form. It was void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. What did God do? Suddenly come down and, and, and roll up his sleeves like a lot of us do. Get two more degrees like a lot of us do. Five more jobs like a lot of us do. Copy uh, tone like a lot of us do try to be like Peter like a lot of us do wear new clothes like a lot of us do put on a bit more makeup like a lot of us do change the hair from whatever it was to Brazilian hair like a lot of us do all these are actions 
and we think that that's going to bring it about. And I'm not one for saying not be, that we shouldn't be diligent, but please, the pattern we are giving from the beginning is that God starts first by changing his, the circumstances by speaking it. So start by finding out what the Bible says about you and change yourself by speaking to yourself. That's not who I am. This is what the Bible says I am. And I'm going to tell myself this is who I am until I become who I am. Then address the circumstances. That's not, those circumstances don't line up with what God says by his word and by his spirit. And so I am going to speak it into being. Every morning I will get up and address everything and speak it into being. And one day the circumstances line up with the word. Amen? The message says it this way. By your words, I can see where I am going. They, they throw a beam of light on my dark path. What, do, what does the word of God do? It throws a beam of light on a dark path. I'm confused. I'm not sure. I don't know what's happening. If you're in that state permanently, there is very little of the word in you. Why don't you just accept that and, and bring about a change? The Passion Translation will put it this way. Truth's shining light guides me. Listen to this, guys. Truth's shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. How do we not make the wrong decisions, wrong choices? You want to marry the guy and you're looking at his car. <laughs> I'm sorry for you. As they say in Africa, sorry for you. You're looking at his job. He's a senior vice president at Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Somebody was looking at, he's a senior vice president at Lehman Brothers. And then, unknown to the person, the God who sees the end from the beginning had known that in four months, Lehman Brothers will be extinct. So when you held on to the senior vice president at Lehman Brothers, and he was taking you to all these fancy restaurants, spending his Lehman Brothers salary, six months later, he's asking you, sis, can you spare two pounds? Because the whole thing has collapsed. He drives in in that fancy Porsche, and you think, man, this guy is happening. No. Yeah. Higher purchase. He pays 400 pounds a month. Doesn't own the car. It's a plan. Everybody has the car and plans. It makes sense. But it, it doesn't, it, he didn't pay 80,000 pounds. He didn't pay it. It's a plan. Come and see me in my house. And you go there, nice flat. And you say, gee, this is the kind of flat I would love to live in. It overlooks the Thames. Uh, Halifax owns the flat. He's paying a mortgage. And the day he loses that job, you will realize that Halifax has teeth. When they take the house. So you don't, those are not the things. I want to make the right choice. What? I want a partner that will help me fulfill God's plan on my life. God, since I don't even understand the plan fully, so you know the partner, show me the person. And when he shows you, obey. Don't say his teeth, teeth are like this. I don't like his teeth. 
See the silly things that women come up with. And then the guys are even worse. Say, man, me, ah. Uh, you see her body. Ah. Uh. Guys are silly. So she's like an hourglass. She's like an hourglass at 25. No matter how she exercises, by 60, that hourglass will not exactly be an hourglass. If she's diligent and she, and she eats right and exercises, she will be the best-looking 60-year-old. But if a 60-year-old is looking like a 25-year-old, run away. Because it might not be natural. So you don't base your life. You, you make cho- sensible choices. Where do I work? It's not about a career. Can, can I speak to some of the young people? You are so consumed in your 20s by your job and your career. You will find out soon that it's not about that. Fulfillment does not come from a career. Neither does it come from a car. It certainly doesn't come from another human being. When I marry, 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 I'll be happy. When I marry, I'll be happy. You're, you now have the guy. And you woke up in the morning and thought, wow. Just look at how he's lying there snoring like an albatross. <laughs> when you married, that was your God. When I make a million, when I make a million, when I make a million. It's none of those things. It's when I find myself in God's call, God's plan for my life. And thankfully, if some money comes along the way, great. A nice car, fab. Good holidays, fantastic. Wonderful husband or wife, great. If some of it doesn't come, it's okay. We'll walk in the plan. I can't make myself better than God wants me to be. That's going to be a futility for the rest of my life. I just want to be who God wants me to be. That's all I want to be. Hallelujah. There's a bit more, but we've run out of time. How many are excited about launching out into the deep? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Father, we just want to thank you for personal encounters. That's what I want to pray now. That we will have personal encounters. That, Father, you will shut down the voices of men and women that are confusing your children. That, Lord, you will give us the grace to stand at our watch, to climb the rampart, to hear you. That you will remove from our lives human beings who want to be high priests in a dispensation where your son Jesus is our only high priest. That you will remove from our lives human beings including loved ones, and I'm not saying, Father, remove them from this earth, but take them away from that position where they have made themselves deities so that we go to them instead of to you. Father, as we embark on this journey to launch out into the deep, each one of us has to hear you. Father, help us to hear you. Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. If there's anyone who's here in this auditorium or you're watching online and you haven't given your life to Jesus, you haven't started this journey, it's all about Him. And you want to do so. Start a personal relationship with Him. That's what our Christianity is, a personal relationship. It's a personal relationship with Him. And you want to do so. There couldn't be a better time than now if you would just open up your heart and invite him in. It's as simple as that. And so, Father, as we pray, sweet Holy Spirit, touch hearts all over this auditorium and all the various platforms online as the people are listening. You want to give your life to Jesus. How do you do that? Again, it's the power of words. It's what you say. Believe in what you say. And so if you say this prayer with me and you mean every word, it's as simple as that. And watch him, watch him go into action as he takes your hand and leads you on this journey. So if there's anyone saying, I want to do that um, in this place or online, if you would just say this prayer with me, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I receive him into my life as my Lord and Savior. I confess that I haven't lived a life that is pleasing to you. Today, give me the grace to turn away from anything that I am doing or involved in that is sinful, not pleasing to you, and to turn to you. I thank you for receiving me into your family as your child I declare by this prayer that I am now part of your family and that today I am born again into your family to start a relationship with your son Jesus in his name Amen Amen and Amen if you said that, said that prayer simple prayer it would seem but monumental in its impact because the Bible says, and we'll talk about that next week, how he has now called you as you've responded in that prayer out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. 